0: The answer. Yes, indeed,
2: it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you. For at eight minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us on this Monday, the eighteenth morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. We'll come back to the impeachment story with Congressman Jim Jordan at ten thirty-five. But for now, this is all wrong.
3: I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us, young people, for hope.
2: Hold Greta down. Thunberg coming across the pond to tell us <laughs> at the United Nations that we need to turn the clocks back on our civilization and go back to pre-Industrial Revolution times, pre-Renaissance times, and uh, nobody that I've read, and I've read a lot of criticisms and critiques of Greta Thunberg's Uh, climate bullying, and I don't think anybody has done a better job of explaining this, what's wrong with her and what's wrong with the statements that she made, than our next guest. Uh, Our guest is uh, Jason Hill, he's a professor of philosophy at DePaul University. He's also a Shulman, uh journalism fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and he's the author of his most recent book, We Have Overcome, an Immigrant's Letter to the American People. And uh, Dr. Hill wrote this fantastic open letter to Greta Thunberg that I found at Front Page Magazine. You are not a moral leader, Greta, Thun- Greta Thunberg, but I will tell you what you are. He's here to tell us what she is now. Uh, Dr. Hill, thanks for the time this morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I want to ask you about your book too before we're done with this conversation because I find that to be fascinating as well. But um let's talk about uh, Greta Thunberg. Your open letter talking to uh you know, speaking as if you were speaking directly to her, I thought was fantastic as you talk about uh, and explain exactly what it is that she is excoriating and and what her Probably puppet you know puppeteers I think whoever, dancing on the end of their strings, what they are trying to do to this world, and that is to turn the clock back by simply ignoring the lessons that the older generations could have to teach her that apparently Dr. Hill she has no interest in.
3: she has no interest. Well, first of all, she is hard um, well she she's she's a, an eco-fascist, she's probably what I call the eco-fascist left. And I think she's a pawn. I think they've put up a little girl because it's very easy um, to put up a child and seem like a bully if you take on a child. And so the eco-fascist left really are a bunch of anti-Western civilization, anti-capitalism, anti-growth. They're a bunch of socialists who want to reduce us, I think, to the level of helpless victims. Take us back to the dark ages, a pre-industrial revolution age where we're helpless victims. Uh, and they can assume, uh, the managerial class socialist lordship role over our lives. This is, this is a, this is a, a global socialist movement that is using this child as a pawn. And one of the reasons I wrote this letter was because I think we're really committing a form of child abuse in our culture when we feed moral leadership to children. I call it the, the cult of deference to children. Uh, when children are in need of moral guidance. And they have put this child up to lecture world leaders when she's a legacy of an amazing technological civilization that has bequeathed to her all the means of surviving in ways that I will never, as a 54-year-old middle-aged man, be able to survive. I mean, her descendants will probably live to be 120 years old, enjoy a much higher standard of health than you and I will ever enjoy, and that's because of our capitalist growth technological civilization. She wants to take us back where we're going to be. uh, Don't rock the boat. Don't even build one, because that will involve (laughs) cutting down a tree, where we're the moral equivalents of animals. But I want your listeners to realize that this is part of—this is not just a child speaking. This is part of the eco-fascist left, which really wants to shut down capitalism, shut down growth, shut down technology. And, you know, there's a vacuum. China's building a silk world that is going to navigate itself around the world and must actually be laughing its head. She's not lecturing China. She's not lecturing Iran and its uranium development um, across Latin America and across the world. She's lecturing the West, um, which is doing its best, by the way, to reduce carbon emissions. Um, that's, that's a little bit of what I wanted to, to, to say to her in the letter, really.
2: Dr Hill um great points you you you're using pawn to chess player i used puppet to, puppet to puppeteers have you done any yeah. of the the research on who is moving her across the board as the pawn that she is. And by the way, you're right. Using a child is brilliant because she is impervious to criticism, although you courageously criticized her. Uh, but but you saw what happened, especially on social media, after she made her remarks to the UN and people like me and others uh, criticized her. For her points, not for who she is, you know. And then people are talking about her autism, and now we're middle-aged white men, or at least I am. You're not, but but uh, but uh, we're middle-aged men criticizing an autistic teenager who's only concerned about the world, and and of course it marginalizes our viewpoints It marginalizes the facts that we bring to the discussion. So my question for you is: Do you have you done any of the research to figure out exactly who are the power brokers that are using her in such a way?
3: It's really hard. I've tried to and it's, and, 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 and it's quite opaque. I mean, and, and I, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, say like sources behind it because, because I, I would have no proof. But the, the cleverness of these groups is that there are multiple, there are plethora of them. And, you know, from the, from the Green Deal movement to, to various grassroots levels, um, to certainly, uh, um, a multiplicity of, of left-wing movements in Europe. Um, that have no problem with, you know, aligning themselves, for example, with Islamofascists and all sorts of crazy left-wing groups in Europe. Um, So I'm continuing to to write on this piece, and and, and, and actually finding the actual funding that uh, is behind the eco-fascists is not that easy. But we know that there are climate change groups that are behind her, radical, extremist, catastrophic groups that are behind her, um, no, actually tying the money directly to her is very, very difficult. Um, but one can only just make sort of like inferential associations and say legally that one is just speaking conjecturally here, that that's probably where the money is coming from, from these sort of extreme climate change activist groups. Um, but unless you know you have exact documentation, and they're very clever about how they move uh, figures, um, so I prefer to look at sort of like the groups that actually back her uh which anyone can do a google search and find the groups that back this this the what i call the eco and the catastrophists
2: um I think that's a I think they're, that's they're, a great term by the way I, I think it is ecological fascism. I think that's very well said. We're talking to Professor Jason Hill, uh, Professor of Philosophy at DePaul University and a Shillman J- Journalism Fellow as well at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about, again, her status as a child from this vantage point. You wrote, Children are important installments on the future. This is, of course, from your op-ed to Greta Thunberg. We have invested in you. It is you and your smug generation who think they have nothing to learn from the older ones who are failing themselves. Whom do you expect to employ the majority of you if you have neither the job credentials or the life competency skills to navigate the world? The future unemployable skipping school on Friday. (laughs) Obstreperous children. And then you point out, yes, we have betrayed you, Greta, by capitulating the world of leadership to board attention deficit children who sprout uh, spout bromides platitudes and slogans that a rudderless and morally relativistic uh, culture accepts because a significant number of the denis of its denizens have become intellectual bankrupt and morally lazy. That is a big part of the story that's kind of apart from the climate aspect here, which is is you know the the the, the bulk of of what we're talking about here. But just this generation, her generation, Doctor Hill, is a very very. Uh, I, I think it, I think it's a very da- it's, it, There's a very dangerous portent for the future if this is the generation of leaders that w- that we're raising.
3: Well, this is the case, and I blame the professoriate. I blame the academic institutions that have become have, ab- have abandoned truth. You know, our, our universities have become national security threats because they're incubation centers that indoctrinate students into cultural Marxism, into abandoning reason, argumentation, the Western canon all the sorts of criteria that we use to arbitrate truth and truth claims, these have been dispensed with as like the construct of white European imperialist races. So these poor kids are just like thrown into radical cultural relativism where they think that they can elevate their high school opinions to the level of human knowledge and that their opinions have as much worth and value as a seasoned expert. And they're lost. They're completely lost. Every conceptual utterance, every thing that comes out of their mouth is greeted with, oh yeah, that's so brilliant, that's so wonderful, when no one actually tells them, you know, in a, in a polite way, not to shut up, but no, you're actually wrong. And so it's a job of an adult to correct you. And, um, and they're very, they, you know, many of them are quite incurious and insular um, because they've grown up with parents who want to be their friends, not their parents. And they grow up in a culture that panders to their needs and wants rather than their growth. And I think that's a form of child abuse, actually.
2: There's no Um, question about it. and, 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 Doctor, I could talk to you about climate and about the indoctrination of our youth for hours, but I also want to ask about your book, We Have Overcome, an Immigrant's Letter to the American People. I have to get a hard time out here, though. Can you hang with me for one more segment after this? Sure, sure, sure. Doc, Dr. Jason Hill from DePaul University will continue right after this on AM 1420 The Answer.
0: It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420 The Answer.
2: Ten twenty three. We continue now. I've got just a few minutes left with our guest, uh, Jason Hill, is a professor of philosophy at DePaul University, a Shulman Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and an author as well. But real quick, before we go to your book, um, you mentioned um, universities being the indoctrination centers of the youth that um, we're so concerned about. You work for a university. Um, are are you? I mean, what do you observe on your own campus at, Defa- at DePaul, uh, Doctor Hill?
3: Well, I don't think my university is any different than any other university. I mean I, I wrote an article defending the right of Israel to annex Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and got into a lot of trouble for it. I was censured by the provost, I was censured by the faculty council, told not to write any more controversial articles. I had the students who just in Palestine take over buildings. I was issued death threats um, wow. on my own campus. Yeah. So, you know, I had to be accompanied by security for a month. Uh, it's it's a bunch of craziness that's going on on college campuses that are you know really shutting down free speech from conservative voices.
2: I had and, no idea uh, about any of those things that you have faced, but it, you know what? It underscores the courage that you have to write this. I'm assuming they would consider this to be another controversial article. This open letter to Greta Thunberg.
3: This incited hate speech. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Hate speech by by pointing out the truth about what this 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 world, this planet would look like if we went back to that pre-industrial revolution time. Uh, that's hate speech by talking about the truth about the younger generation and uh, and, and, and how they're being raised. That's hate speech. Unbelievable. I mean, well, you know what, Dr. Hopefully we can have you back on because I would love to spend a lot more time with you. But I do want to give some uh, time now to your book. I have not read it, uh, but I have read uh, some of it on your press kit or on the website, uh, and I want to hear a little bit more about it. We have overcome an immigrant's letter to the American people. Tell us the premise.
3: The premise is it's a love letter to the American people, explaining as an immigrant from the Caribbean, I came here in my early 20s legally, and I worked up to four jobs, put myself in school. It's a love letter to the American people, explaining to America, I grew very tired of living in what I call the age of America and I want to explain to the America from an immigrant's perspective why this is the greatest republic on the face of the earth that has ever existed, what makes the American people an exceptionalist people after having traveled all over the world. I've had the luxury of doing that for my job, giving talks. What makes the American republic the greatest republic? There's something unprecedented about this country and her people, and I want to explain to the American people to whom I dedicated this book to the American people what makes its people and this country great, what makes its growth-driven, capitalistic, can-do, problem-solving people, the most amazing people on the face of the earth, and what makes this country great. That's it, in a nutshell, I explain how immigrants such as myself, who came here legally, I came here under the Reagan administration without a sense of entitlement, without a sense of victimization, wanted nothing but a chance to contribute to the greatness of America through our own agency, by giving back to the country, uh, by contributing to the country, asking nothing from the country except a chance to give of ourselves, and to explain to the American people that in an age of America phobia, this country never stopped being great. In fact, it's greater than it ever was at the time of its writing, which is it's a recent book. And that's a book in a nutshell, you know, because people are dumping on this great republic of the saying it's a horrible, evil, mean-spirited place. And I think as a great patriot that it's a, it's a wonderful country, and I wanted to, to, to explain uh, to the American people just how amazing this country was. Yes, it was born with a birth defect called slavery, but one of the things I explained in this book is that America also is a self-correcting country that is always seeking to correct its flaws. You know, generation after generation, we see it, whether it's through magic equality or whether it's through, uh, gender equality towards women or towards blacks, but mm-hmm. always trying to correct perceived mistakes, um, towards people that have been historically oppressed. And, uh, we're not an intrinsically bigoted country. You know, we're not, if, if it were, I as a person of color, a black man would never be a, a tenured full professor at an almost all white university in the Midwest. I would not have achieved what I have achieved and had not survived in the deep south in the mid ages.
2: Um, it's really important, I to, play, if, play. I, if I may, Dr. Hill, uh, it's really important to get that part in here. Um, you, you write on your website about this, uh, the dominant narrative repeated in the media and from the angry mouths of politicians and activists is the exact opposite of the reality. They paint a portrait of an America rife with racial and ethnic division where minorities are mired in a poverty worse than slavery, slavery, and white people stand at the top of an unfairly stacked pyramid of privilege. It's one thing for a man of your intellect and your education to say this, it's Another thing that you are a man of color, that you're a Jamaican immigrant, you are so. So you have you know you you would be in a in a a perfectly suited position to really address um, those allegations of this racial disparity that we live in in this country. And you're saying that you yourself and your family you have not observed it in that way.
3: No, well, I mean we've, of course I've had my fair share of racism, but you deal with mm-hmm. it head on. It's not endemic to the culture. It's right. um Right, it's
2: it's something that's the that important I'm, part, isn't it? It's not endemic. You're going to see instances of because individuals, you're going to find good and bad people in every walk of life of every nationality, and you're going to find racists, sure. But this country as a whole, as you say, that that's not that the narrative that that we are that is painted by our media is not the reality.
3: In fact, the country is built on principle to fighting injustice. Those who who are you know intrinsically bent towards that sort of arc i call it are fighting against the fundamental principles in this country which is bent towards justice which is bent towards emancipation of of bigotry that's how i read america those who act contrary to that are acting contrary towards the, the founding moral principles of this country um, and i think that's very important for people to understand
2: i do too um, and yeah. um and, and i and i'll tell you what you've um I, i've suddenly got a lot of reading to do because as i uh, <laughs> as i talked to you about this book we have overcome uh, i'm looking at some of your others uh, beyond blood identity civil disobedience and the politics of identity and becoming Co- cosmopolitan i think i've got a lot of reading to do because i would love to have you back on to discuss these things as well as the discrimination you have faced at your own university for daring to speak truth and uh you know and to be accused of being somebody who's fomenting hate speech and hatred uh, as a result of that i think it's a it's an amazing story that you have to tell in addition to the story you just told to Greta Thunberg uh, about uh, the the eco-fascism that she represents. So, Dr. Hill, I really appreciate your time today, and I hope we can have you back on.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. I did as well.
2: It is a pleasure. Thank Thank you, sir. All right, Dr. Jason Hill from DePaul University. Boy, he has gone through it, huh? Uh, that's a fantastic uh, conversation that I look to expand upon very, very soon. Right now it's 1030, and I have a very fantastic conversation coming up next with Congressman Jim Jordan right here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1035, thanks again to Professor Hill from DePaul University. That was a fantastic, very illuminating conversation. I think this is going to be another one now, especially after some of what we heard last week. Let
4: me read it one more time. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September first, 2019 in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky we got six people having four conversations in one sentence, and you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding.
2: I think we have a pretty good, uh, good idea why now uh, Leader McCarthy chose Jim Jordan to sit on the intelligence committee. you
4: weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Zelensky's call? I did not. You've never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvaney? I never did. You never met the president? That's correct. He had three meetings again with Zelensky, and it didn't come up.
1: And two of those they had never heard about, as far as I know. And president, there was Lissi- no reason for it. President it.
4: Zelensky never made an announcement. This, this is what I can't believe, and you're their star witness.
2: And you're their star witness. Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative, and, yes, now member of the Intelligence Committee for however long he is needed there, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good morning, sir.
4: Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you.
2: Wow! Uh, Talk about a deconstruction of of a star witness. Uh, I thought you did a phenomenal job, and I got to tell you, and and this isn't just uh, blowing sunshine up your skirt, but uh, Ratcliffe uh, and Nunez and so many others are doing incredible work. As a matter of fact, before I ask you my first question, I want to highlight this too because of what Representative Chris uh, Stewart did. uh, Yes, I guess this was um, well. I don't have the time of it here, but uh, when he asked, and where did my audio go for this? I apologize. I want to make sure that we can play this part,
0: Madam Ambassador. As, as you see it here before us, very simply and directly. Do you have any information regarding the President of the United States accepting any bribes? No. Do you have any information regarding any criminal activity that the President of the United States has been involved with at all?
2: No. All right, so that was Friday, the questioning of Ambassador Ivanovich. Congressman, my question to you is, which you and some of your colleagues have pointed out here, is why do they keep calling witnesses who haven't witnessed anything?
4: Yeah, with no firsthand knowledge of anything, no firsthand knowledge of any of the you know, supposedly subject of this entire inquiry, um, never even talked with the president, haven't met with uh, Chief of Staff Mulvaney. Most of them haven't even met or talked with Rudy Giuliani, who they keep talking about. So, th- this and, and again, remember Bob: the four fundamental facts. They're never going to change. That's a, that's amazing thing about facts is they don't change. The call transcript shows no linkage. The two people on the call have said several times: no pushing, no pressure, no linkage whatsoever between uh, security assistance money and investigations. The Ukrainians didn't even know the aid was held at the time of the call. And most important. They took no action, i.e. they didn't announce they were going to do an investigation prior to the aid being released. And so this is all just Democrats doing what they've been doing for three and a half years going after the president.
2: Steve Scalise uh, tweeted about this yesterday. Schiff controls who testifies. shift controls how Republicans use our question time. Shift controls what gets released from his secret depositions. shift shuts out witnesses who would contradict his one-sided narrative. And this is what Speaker Pelosi is calling fair. This is a sham. Congressman, that's what I don't understand. How can we, you know, I mean, if this were a court of law, a judge would have tossed this, uh, uh, I, I think, by now. How can the defendant here, which is President Trump, honestly get a fair, quote-unquote, trial by way of this inquiry if you guys can't call witnesses that you want and you can't even ask questions <laughs> of their witnesses that you choose? No, he,
4: he 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 knows he can't get it fair. We know it's not fair. But the most important thing is so do the American people. Yeah. They see through this. The American people, I, this is where Democrats get it wrong. Yesterday, I was I was on a TV show, and, and, and the... Uh, they, they played a tape uh, of, of an interview with Nancy Pelosi, and she called the president an imposter. Now, think about that, Bob. Sixty-three million people voted for the president. He won an Electoral College landslide, and that's the Democrat's attitude. So they're just going to keep doing this unfair process, but the great thing is the American people see that the facts are on the president's side, and they see that this process is completely unfair. But Democrats don't care because they, they think they're smarter than the people of this great country who elected Donald Trump president. And so they're going to just keep doing this. But I I know the American people see through it, because it is so blatantly unfair, blatantly no due process.
2: Well, I played that clip you were referencing from yesterday on uh, Face the Nation, and I also played the part where you talk about the fact that this entire inquiry is not in response to a phone call that was placed uh, from President Trump to President Zelensky, but that, in fact, five different, I think it's five different members of the Intelligence yeah. Committee have, have publicly called for the president to be impeached long before uh, the phone call was ever placed, let alone long before the whistleblower ever spoke. And moreover, at the start of this Congress, when people like Rashida, I call her Sharia, Sharia Tlaib uh, has her um, swearing-in ceremony in her little party, she screams, let's impeach the mother blanker. So so how yeah. can this possibly be about a phone call between uh, Trump and Zelensky when they have been screaming for impeachment for, for long before that?
4: No, you're so right. It's not. And remember, I always, I always try to go back. This all started July of 2016. And we, we should never forget this. It started when they opened the so-called Trump-Russia investigation. And literally, our FBI, our government, Spied on two American citizens associated with the presidential campaign, and then everything that unfolded over the next three years in the in the Mueller investigation, the FBI investigation before that, and all that happened in that, and now this, now this crazy Ukrainian story that they are uh, bringing in witnesses with no firsthand information, denying the president due process, denying the minority party, the Republicans, any type of fairness in this in this entire inquiry. And like I said, the American people see through it, and that's a good thing.
2: Your colleague John Ratcliffe has suggested that they are racing to get to this impeachment before... The disclosure from the, uh, intelli- the, uh, inspector general's report is made public, yeah. which is coming, I guess, very quickly because it's going to be damning. It's going to be damaging. Uh, and apparently that's coming out very, very quickly. Um, and, and do you agree that that's why they are pushing and running as fast as they can here because they know that once the truth comes out about what was done to President Trump during that and to his campaign team, uh, because the inspector general yeah. has been looking into this, the dossier, they have been looking, he has been looking into the conduct of your levels of the FBI and in the uh, Department of Justice that was run under President Obama?
4: Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons they're trying to rush, and as Nancy Pelosi said, strike while the iron's hot. I think it's because of the Pfizer report that's coming from Inspector General Horowitz. I think it's because of the investigation that Attorney General Barr has tasked U.S. Attorney John Durham to do. I think it's also practical politics. A lot of these senators running for president, they don't want to be sitting there in the Senate in a trial. They want to be out campaigning. So I think there's all those reasons but that that doesn't make it any less fair uh, uh you know you know what what they're doing and i will say this too i think i think uh, my colleague said it you don't write a 500 we heard from the inspector general it's going to be a 500 page report on the yeah. five you don't write a 500 page report if you're not going to say anything damaging so again i don't know what's in it i don't know how damaging it'll be but the idea that it's 500 pages kind of tells me that there's probably some information in there that the democrats aren't going to like
2: well and you know the the, the... That's the good part, because uh, I think you're right. But but the questionable part, then, is what happens after the fact? Let's suppose it's 500 pages of damaging information to a lot of very prominent Democrats and prominent uh, members of the uh, intelligence community or from the, uh, the FBI under the, the last administration. If we find all of those things out, can we expect there to be any repercussions or any accountability? That's what the American people have been so frustrated by.
4: Let's hope so. And uh, we've talked on your show before, Bob. It's probably the question I get more often than any other when I'm out and about in our district, around our state, and around the country. And that simple question is, when is someone going to jail? Because the American people are so sick of the double standard, the, the one set of rules for you and me and us regular folk, <clears throat> but a different set if you're part of the politically connected Washington establishment. Um, so let's hope so. Now, if anyone can do it, I do believe that Attorney General Barr is the man for the job. So, I, think, I feel like he's going to go at this in the right way and get to the bottom of it. And let's hope that if people really did serious wrongdoing, and it sure appears that that's the case, that they are in fact held accountable. <laughs>
2: I'm glad you brought up Attorney General Barr, Congressman Jordan. Uh, he spoke to the Federalist Society uh, and said this of the Democrats. They rallied around an explicit strategy of using every tool and maneuver available to sabotage the functioning of the Trump administration. They essentially see themselves as engaged in a war to cripple by any means necessary a duly elected government. And I would add to that and ask your opinion of this, Congressman Jordan, not just the Democrats, but as we found out uh, last week uh, from the um, uh, 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 revelations from Nikki Haley's book, that even members of his own administration, yeah. General Kelly and uh, and uh, former Secretary of State Tillerson, seem to be working to contradict the, the agenda uh, that the president was elected on.
4: Yes. B- Bob, they spied. <coughs> the FBI spied on two American citizens. They went to a secret court with a document that is bogus, used that as a basis to get a warrant to go spy on someone associated with President Trump's campaign. They used foreign sources to spy on someone else associated with President Trump's campaign. I bet that's never happened in American history. They did that, and this town thought it was okay, thought it was appropriate because they all view Donald Trump as an outsider who's coming into this place to shake it up. But the good news is that's exactly why the American people sent him here. They sent in here to shake this town up, and God bless him for doing it. And think of what he's accomplished in just three years with, as we've talked before, taxes cut, regulations reduced, the people on the court, the embassy in Jerusalem, hostage home from North Korea, on and on it goes. In spite of this amazing opposition, this guy has got so many good things done, and that's what the American people appreciate. So when they see this entire sham of an impeachment choir that the Democrats are doing, once again, I think they see through it. I think they see this is just more of this same effort that started in July of 2016.
2: Lane, you believe correctly, pointed out that he's the only member of Congress who knows who the whistleblower is. He he completely denied that and did it multiple times and, in fact, closed <laughs> the, the, the morning slash early afternoon session uh, last, what, Wednesday, I guess it was, um, by saying directly, I want to reiterate, I do not know who the whistleblower is. How on earth can he expect to? Can he say that directly to the American people when it is public information that the whistleblower went to Adam Schiff's staff first, and in fact he tweeted about it at the time?
4: Yes, and he said at the time we're going to have the whistleblower come in and testify, and then when it was discovered that oh shoot uh, that 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 we learned that his staff oh by the way met with him oh change my tune he's not going to come in so and, and then for him to say last week that I don't even know who it is. Nobody in the country believes that. Nobody believes that. We all know that there is one member of Congress whose staff met with the whistleblower. Therefore, there is one member of Congress who knows who the whistleblower is. None of the rest of us get to know. You and the press don't get to know. Most importantly, the American people don't get to know who the individual is who is trying to take down a president of the United States 11 and a half months before an election, who was elected by 63 million people and won an Electoral College landslide this is what the Democrats are putting our country through after they put our country through the whole crazy Trump-Russia Mueller investigation probe.
2: The other thing you were hitting uh, Schiff about uh, uh, this past week, and you talked about it over the weekend as well is is the fact that so many transcripts uh, from the closed door depositions are not being released. He's picking and choosing which ones are going to be released to the public. Um, is there any legal maneuver that you can go to to, to subpoena or to or can only the majority call the, you know, subpoena uh, uh, documents like this? How can you possibly nope. ask the right questions if you don't have all of the transcripts to know what was said in cl- beyond closed doors?
3: well the
4: the the point is he's going to release them all but he's the the timing and 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 strategic timing of him when he releases them is the problem because until they're released you can't use the information in right. a public forum in a public way so there were things in certain transcripts that weren't released before Wednesday's hearing last week and Friday's hearing last week that we would have liked to have had to be able to present to the witness and then ask questions about that. We were denied an opportunity to do that simply because Adam Schiff scheduled the hearings when he did and releases the transcripts when he does. So that is the problem. That is completely unfair. And But he doesn't care. Everything about this thing has been unfair to the president, to us. Most importantly, it's been unfair to the American people who simply want the truth.
2: Last thing, Congressman Jordan. Um, a senior uh, National Security Council official, Tim Morrison, I just saw this, testified during the depositions last month. That he believed nothing improper occurred during that July 25th phone call. Specifically, in your view, there was nothing improper that occurred about that call. Correct, is what he answered. I ask this uh, and point this out only to say that's his view of the call. There are others whose view of the call was, I did hear something that I thought was inappropriate or at least troubling. The point being here, this is all open for interpretation. You cannot yeah. impeach a president based on somebody's interpretation, which may vary or dis- or differ from other people's interpretations. There is nothing that is considered to be a smoking gun here that is worthy of, remo- of removing a president from office.
4: Yes, I, I can't say any better than you just said it. That is that is exactly the point, Mister Morrison, distinguished you know uh, public servant mm-hmm. at, at the N.S.C. Now uh, has has recently left the N.S.C. But at the N.S.C. said nothing improper, nothing illegal about the call. Uh, were there things that concerned some people in the call? Okay, maybe so. Not me, but there were there were things that that some people were concerned about. But as you point out, you, that, that, you're going to remove a president from office for that. Eleven and a half months before the next election, this is again. Um, I, I, I think the American people understand that this, this is just ridiculous what the Democrats are putting the country through. This, all because this? they can't accept, all because they can't accept who the president is and the fact that sixty-three million of us thought uh, he was the right guy for the job and that he's doing a great job.
2: Yeah, is this nothing more based on what you just said? I mean, at the very most, and I've heard a lot of people argue this, at the very, very most, if you really wanted to push it here, you could say maybe we'll have a vote to censure the president for for inquiring with President Zelensky about something that they felt was inappropriate at the very most. But they wouldn't do that because that isn't what they promised their base. Back in January, or actually back in November of 2016, they promised their base, we're going to impeach him. In fact, I, I talked to you last week about this. The Washington Post headline on January 20th, 2017 Inauguration Day was the impeachment of Donald Trump has begun. This was this was yeah. started way back then, and I feel and fear that this is you know a, a, one of the two major political parties in this country, and they happen to control the Congress right now, simply yeah. trying yeah. to keep a campaign promise they made to their base that they will impeach this man.
4: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and look, the President, uh, the, the, he shouldn't be censured for this. There's, instead of being, there's, they, that's ridiculous where the Democrats are, but you're right. And remember, it all started in July 2016, but it also started right when he took office because the whistleblower's lawyer tweeted out in January of 2017, the impeachment process begins now. The coup has started. Remember that? Mark Zay, the whistleblower's lawyer, was part part of this whole effort to remove the president as soon as he was inaugurated, as soon as he was sworn in as president.
2: Yeah, and he used the word coup. I mean, and then that to me is it, it tells you all you need to, it, it, a, a response to what may have been an illegal or inappropriate or you know for for the idiots uh, you know a treasonous act on a phone call the re- if the response to that might be impeachment impeachment proceedings, but considering they said no we 're starting this a long time ago, and they use the word coup it lets you know we're we're simply convicting the president and we're going to spend uh, the rest of our you know three to four years uh, however long we have to trying to find a crime that he committed we've convicted him in the in our in our minds and now we have to find his crime and so this is what they have seized upon uh it it is it is very dangerous for our country and i want to thank you again for defending the presidency
4: you bet bob
2: good to be with you take care thank you congressman congressman jim jordan on am 1420 the answer doing exactly that he's not defending the president he's defending the presidency this matters for the future history of this country back after this bob france here on AM
0: 1420, The Answer.
2: 1057, that means short segment to wrap up the show, and I want to get Kenny and LaGrange on the air right now. He has been a trooper. He has been sitting there and waiting through two long interviews to get onto the program, and uh, I really appreciate and respect that, Kenny. Thank you, my friend. Go right ahead, sir.
5: Um as I sat here Friday watching Ambassador Yovanovitch be a non-witness, I could only think back in our recent history where we had an ambassador that came home in a body bag. Chris wow. Stevens got killed yeah. in yeah. Benghazi with three other patriots, and, and I'm sure and he would have invoked
2: w- his name didn't she invoke I I read uh, but I didn't read the article I only saw the headline a story of uh, ambassador Stevens family was very upset and very uh, uh, put off by Yovanovich comparing herself should she compare herself in some way to to ambassador Stevens because she brought up Benghazi
5: I did not hear that personally because I did not hear the entire testimony okay but I think she ought to get down on her knees and thank God she'd be able to walk around that whole Tobacco over in Benghazi could have been uh, eliminated with it, with one word from Barack Obama. All he had to do is tell the, his generals go. Yes, and and for this woman to sit here and whine and cry is just it's just a shame.
2: Hundred percent agree, Kenny. Thank you, my friend, and God bless you for your uh, patience there as well in getting that information out there. We'll talk more about Yovanovich tomorrow because she did she invoked the name of Stevens and Benghazi at some point. All right, that's all the time that I've got. Thanks for being a great uh, audience today. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Enjoy the silence.